uh, God has really been moving in our hearts, and the Lord had prompted in my heart uh, at the turn of this year to start a series uh, around this time frame, today is what we scheduled it, uh, to take the church on a community Bible experience, a series based entirely on the Word of God. And, uh, and we've been talking about this for the past several weeks, and it's been fun. And I was thinking as we kind of embark on our, jersey, on our journey, we we're, kind of, uh, uh, we're kind of heading off into the waters today. I, would, I wanted to ask you, how many Bibles do you have at your house? All right, so think about it. Count up how many Bibles you might have in your, in your house, all right? We'll just give you a second here. How many Bibles? Uh, first of all, anybody have at least one Bible, all right? Let's, that should be everyone probably. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles on the back tables. They're NIV that we preach from, and we would, you're more than welcome to take those to use on Sunday morning, but you can take those as a gift as well, and then you have a Bible. So everyone's got at least one Bible, I'm sure. Anybody have more than two or three Bibles? All right, keep your hands up. Four, five, holy smoke, six Bibles at home, seven Bibles. All right, uh, who's got ten Bibles at home? All right, you guys should be preaching this morning, okay? I mean, I mean that's, that's odd. <laughs> yeah, come on, come on, Dennis. Dennis is ready in season and out. You know, I was thinking about it. We, there are Bibles everywhere, aren't there? You can get Bibles online. You can get your Bibles on your phone. If you've got an app, the YouVersion app, which, which by the way, who's got the YouVersion app on your iPod or your phone or something? About or at least half of us. There are like 25 to 30 versions of the Bible right in the palm of your hand. It's crazy. But there, you know, if you travel, the Gideons are still putting Bibles in hotels. You can get Bible on audio. You can get it on video. Anybody watch the Bible series recently on uh, the History Channel? Pretty intriguing. I watched the first one, and then we don't have cable, so I wasn't able to watch the rest. But very, very good. And I was thinking, there are so many Bibles. It's everywhere. The number one selling book in the all-time history, by far, nothing is even, uh, not even close. And I was thinking, you know what? Some of these Bibles are pretty important to us, aren't they? How many can think of a Bible or two that maybe has a little higher significance in your life? Then maybe another one. Maybe a grandma gave one to you or, or a graduation gift or something that, you know, maybe when you're saved. Well, I pulled out a couple Bibles this morning uh, that were especially important to me, uh, and I wanted to just share with those with you and just bear with me here for a second. Uh, back in kids' church, when I was in kids' church, um, they had something uh, pretty amazing. It was called um, uh, Scripture Hunts. You guys ever do those? Where they'd say, John 3.16, go, Right? And then every, you had the Bible above your head, go, and then you're flipping through, you find it, and then you stand up, and then you get a little sticker. And they, they kind of look like this. And I was pretty fast, as you can tell, and I, I would uh, put those in, right in my Bible, and, um, and on the front, in the back, all, I've got another Bible that I was going to bring too. It is plastered front and back, and uh, like the, the whole maps, all the maps are covered up. I didn't know why they put maps in a Bible. I mean, that didn't make sense to me as a kid, so I just covered them up with scripture verses, and I'd memorize those and kind of work on those. But what's interesting about this Bible, this is the exact Bible in 1985 that my grandma said, go get that Bible, Ben, because I'd been asking her about salvation. How do you know that you are saved? I asked my grandma. She said, well, go get your Bible, and this is the Bible I grabbed, and I, I went and she took me through a, a few verses, and, uh, 
And we, she kind of highlighted, we read scripture together, and she said, you want to know for sure that you are saved? And I said, yes, I do. That's why we've been talking about this. And I prayed a sinner's prayer in my uh, living room at my house with my grandma. It was a special moment. But what's interesting, she said, hey, go grab a pen. And she said, we're going to write this down so you will never forget it, my grandma Faye. And I did. I wrote in here, and you can see it. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior on November 12, 1985. I was nine years old. And I remember it. And this is a Bible I, I pray to God that I'll have for all the days of my life. And, uh, and that's important to me. And I, maybe you've got a Bible that's like that as well. Another one that was kind of that I found this morning, I thought I lost, was this Bible. This was a Bible that Jessica gave me when we were actually, I took a year off, and it's too long of a story to explain today, but I took a year off from her um, with no relationships. I was just focusing on God, and I graduated from high school in 1994. And on July, in July, um, they, she gave me this Bible. We weren't even dating, but she must have still liked me a little bit because she gave me a Bible. She was smart. Uh, but she says this. She wrote this in the Bible. She said, Ben, let this be the place you come for, for wisdom and direction, and in years to come, many sermons too, with bright hopes for the future. See, she's, she's working me. I mean, I, but it worked. I mean, I, I mean, it worked. And she says, I give this to you with love, Jess. And then she wrote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. And what's great about this Bible, when I was in Dayton, Ohio, and as a children's pastor, I kept this in my truck. And every time I'd go to a hospital call, I had a Bible. And I'd grab it, and it was easy. And I thought I'd lost it, but it was right there with all the other Bibles. And by the way, we've got like 10 or more Bibles uh, at our house as, as well. And so it's just, it is, it is kind of what it is. But these Bibles are important, aren't they? And I looked up what Bible means. It means in the Greek, it means biblos, B-I-B-L-O-S, which actually only means book. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Back in the very beginning, they would take the inner bark of papyrus plant, hence they would put it in a scroll and they'd write on it and it became books and, and things like that. And until they put the word holy Bible, holy book, it wasn't anything special. But when they put Holy Bible and the canon came together, which is the way that they uh, created Scripture, it became set apart. It became the Holy Word of God. And we use it as our standard for life and for, uh, for everything we do. The Word of God is alive and sharp, and we're going to talk about the Word of God. And this, this whole series is about God's Word. So let me ask you a little quiz question and uh, see how you guys do. How many Bibles are how many Bibles? How many books are in the Bible? 66. All right, we got some smart ones here. All right. Brendan, I think they're going to do okay this service. All right. No, second question. How many books are in the Old Testament? 39. All right, very good. So if you're a math wizard, uh, how many? 27 in the, in the New Testament. Dennis, I can tell you want to preach this morning. I was just going to say 66 books, but if you're Catholic, there's even more. How many extra in the Catholic version of the Bible? <laughs> there's uh, 13 extra uh, in the Catholic Bible, but we're not Catholic, so anyway, <laughs> but that is what it is. All right, so a lot of, lot of uh, books in the Bible, uh, 1,189 chapters in the Bible, 920 Old Testament, 260 New Testament. And the reason I'm saying this is because if you would commit today, 
to read three to four chapters in the Bible every day for one year, you would have read the, the Bible front to back. Pretty cool. Three to four chapters a day. If you were a little more ambitious and you say, well, I could give one hour to reading Scripture every day, that'd be 10 chapters for an average reader, and you could read the Bible in its entirety, front to back, in 120 days. Pretty cool. If you're even more ambitious and had five hours a day, anybody have five hours a day to read Scripture? I don't know. But if you did, 50 chapters a day, you could read the Bible in 24 days, and it's funny, you just multiply that by two, 10 hours a day. Come on, Gladys. 10 hours a day. Take vacation. Take a sabbatical. Get time off work. You couldn't do this if you had kids. I understand that. But at 10 hours a day, 100 chapters a day, you could read the Bible in 10 days. Now, if you read it from just from the very beginning of the day and just kept on reading and kept on reading, which they just did in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you saw that. They read scripture from Genesis to Revelation and different people read different sections. It took several days to do it, but they were able to do it front to back all in one reading. Pretty cool thing about that. But the reason I say that is because there's, uh, there are, um, there's so much in God's word that is so important for us to get our minds around. Now, there's 23,145 verses in the Bible, just for your information, 8,000, just under 8,000 verses in the New Testament. Now, how many are glad that we're reading through the New Testament and not the Old Testament in the next eight weeks? (laughs) Amen to that, right? And what I want you to know is that we've got this simple idea to actually read the Bible over the next eight weeks together. And many of you, in fact, more people than we expected, decided to jump on board and are reading through the Scripture with us. We're not reading it alone. We're not reading it in little fragments, verses here and there. We're not reading it isolated. In fact, many of you are connecting to, to each other, and it's great. And what we're doing over this, these next days is we're reading about six and a half chapters a day, for five days a week with a couple days to make up, and some of you may need to make up already. But what that means is that for these eight weeks, you're reading less than 200 verses a day, which is less time commitment than your favorite TV show. So turn off the TV. I believe you can do anything for eight weeks. And we're believing that as we do this together, as we read through Scripture, that we will grow. Now, quick plug. We had we ordered um, more of these. Uh, we ran out this morning uh, be- after first service. We are out. So if you're saying, "Man, I'd love to read it with you," we will have those in the office Monday, Tuesday. You can call us as soon as we get it. Uh, we'll put out an email, and you could stop by and get one. They're eight dollars, and we encourage you to do that. And for those of you that are tracking with us, I uh, we'll want to say thank you in advance because together we're using this tool. It's called the Books of the Bible, and what it is, it's a tool that takes Scripture, puts authors together and they re, you read through Scripture in a very unique fashion. There's no chapters, no verses. It's just the story. And this week, you guys, we read Luke together, all of Luke, and it was awesome. And it's the message. And what we want to do is read big portions of Scripture, but looking for high impact, and we're going to see the complete story and understand it in its context, perhaps like you've never seen Scripture before. And so we're giving a big plug for that. One more question before, we, uh, before I uh, you know, talk about this. 
uh, or dive into the full message. <laughs> that wasn't part of my message, just by the way. You're saying, man, that was 10 minutes. Are you talking? No, I'm just kidding. How many authors are there in the New Testament for you scholars? How many authors? Any guesses? There's only one author to the New Testament. There are about nine to ten writers of the New Testament, but we believe that God's word is what? The word of God, that he wrote it, he inspired it, and tonight at Connect 101, we're going to talk about that. If you're new to the church, we encourage you to be a part of that tonight. It's going to be a blast. Now, the Bible itself describes itself in God's word. It describes the word of God as the, our daily bread. Everyone say daily bread. It's our food that we get to digest and eat. And it's interesting that Jesus' temptation, which we're going to get to in a few minutes, we see Jesus describing the Word of God in this fashion. But it's not the only place we see that. We see it also in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Turn with me there. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. It's in the, um, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You're saying, Aren't, didn't we just read Luke? Well, we're going to get there. But Matthew 6, 11, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says this. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. And what I believe is we're going to see, we're going to pull some scripture together here, is that Jesus is talking about more than just our provision that we put in our mouths that sustains us physically. I believe this verse right there is talking about more than natural provision in our lives. You say, okay, well, let's, let's look at some other verses. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. This is where Jesus, or not Jesus, where God, well, he's Jesus and God, I guess. Uh, he sends manna and quail uh, to, the, to the children of Israel, and he's reflecting on this. And in verse 4, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day, everyone say each day, and gather enough for that day. In the same way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. We see this, that he says each day. Is it possible that God is talking about more than physical bread or manna for the children of Israel, saying that how important it is for them to track with God each and every day. One more verse, Psalm uh, 68. Actually, we've got a few more verses. Psalm 68, verse 19 says this. It says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. In another version, it says, Daily loads us up with benefits. That's what God does. That's what His Word does. Each and every day, we are called to be in his word. Every day, there's a word of the Lord for you. Revelation, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. God has a word for you every day. Oh, if I came up to you this past week, and uh, some of you are saying, I'm thankful you didn't do this. Uh, and I came up to you and said, maybe on Wednesday, and I said, uh, hey, Mary, uh, what was the word of the Lord for you this morning? What was God speaking to you this morning? Hopefully, uh, Mary, I picked on her because she probably had a word from, the, from that morning. But how many of us would that be intimidating? 
It would be an intimidating question, wouldn't it, to many of us, saying, oh, I don't know. Uh, well, this is what God's doing, and maybe come, come up with something. But I believe that we should have an answer for that question every day. There are nuggets of truth in God's Word for us each and every day. And I believe if we're going to be sustained spiritually, we must eat. We must eat God's Word. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. I love this. Joshua chapter 1, the Lord is commanding Joshua to go, and he, said, he gives them some instruction. Verse 8 says, says this. It says, do not let this book of the law, he's talking about God's word, depart from your mouth, meditate on it day and night, so that you will be careful, that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Well, okay, so I'm going to do everything written in the book. What's the benefit? What's the result? Then you'll be prosperous and successful. When you digest God's word into your life, you will prosper financially and relationally, spiritually, emotionally. In every single area of your life, you will benefit if you are digesting God's word. It kind of begs the question, what's the most important thing, right? What's the most important thing in your life? You say, well, Jesus is, or God is. Well, it's His Word. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word of God. Go all the way to the end of Scripture, Almost the last chapter, Revelation 19. Revelation 19, starting verse 11, says this. It says, I saw in heaven standing open. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and his head are his crowns, are as many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is what? The Word of God. Jesus is the Word. And when we read the Bible, it's, if I could say this, it sounds weird, we are eating Jesus. We are digesting more of God. Jesus is filling you when you read God's Word. Our most important commodity is not food or medicine or your bank account or your education or any other material resource you can think of. It's God's Word, and it brings hope. It brings hope as we raise our kids, as we are uh, on the job, on Monday through Friday. It's as we're in school, the Word of God brings hope. It brings hope to our families and to our community, and it combats despair and depression and pain and all kinds of destruction. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, the Bible says. Now, how many of you have ever wished you could be more like Jesus? Anybody? Yeah? Absolutely. Hopefully every day, right? The way you become more like Christ is by eating from His Word, letting it change you. But unfortunately, there are many Christians, and you might even be here today, 
severely malnutritioned, malnourished, or even completely malnourished. But at the Gateway Church, we're saying, no, we are not going to stand for that. We are going to challenge one another to read God's Word, to be in His Word, to be healthy. Our vision statement says that we are endeavoring to be a healthy, multiplying church known for making an impact in our community and in our world. And some of you are saying that with me, which is great. What's interesting about that is the healthy part. We need to be in God's Word to be healthy as believers. We need to meditate on it, memorize it, daily be eating chunks of it. And, uh, and I believe that's what this series is really about, the community Bible experience. So where do we go from here? And we've got some uh, ground to cover here in the next few minutes. This first week, last Monday, we asked you to start reading. And we, uh, you should have read uh, 54 pages at this point. And if you haven't, you're, we'll have copies in the mail uh, that are, will be here Monday or Tuesday. And we'll put an email out and you can stop in and get a copy and get up to speed with us. What you did this week, just so you know, the first week out of eight is you have read the entire book of Luke, which is pretty cool. And that's the longest book in the New Testament. And Luke is actually one book. It's Luke-Acts. It's two volumes in one book, and what we're going to see is it just continues right in the story. It'll pick up there tomorrow morning. Now, I want to just talk just for a second about what Luke-Acts is all about. It's a book written to Theophilus, who most likely was a Roman official who sponsored Luke in his ministry, okay? And it was wrote to convince Theophilus that what he had heard about Jesus and the early church So thus, Luke is more about Jesus. The early church is more in Acts. He's writing this to convince Theophilus that what he's heard is absolutely true. It's trustworthy. And Luke-Acts together shows how everything unfolded according to God's plan. And it's a compelling portrait of Jesus' life. Now for me, what kind of caught my attention this week and what I want to dive into for the next few moments is how Jesus talked about the Word of God. Turn with me to, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, or if you've got your copy of the books of the Bible, you can turn to page 19, and 19 and 20 is where our text for this morning uh, will be found. On the bottom of page 19, if you're tracking in that way, John, or Luke chapter 8, verse, starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanne, the wife of uh, Chuez, uh, the manager of Herod's household. Interesting. Uh, Susanna, the, and many others. These women were helping to support them on their uh, uh, out of their own means. It's interesting, you read that. I didn't really, I mean, I've read Luke tons of times, and I was reading that, I'm like, wow, there were people that supported Jesus financially in his ministry. They were giving of themselves, and you, you, I would always wonder, you know, I, I was thinking about, I'm like, well, how does Jesus go and just, he's not working, how does he 
how is he supported? Well, it says it right there. But that's not what we're going to focus on. Because then he addresses the crowd. He says, while a large crowd were gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. He said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Everyone say seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Moisture. <laughs> it's an inside joke between my daughter and me, <laughs> and uh, maybe some of her friends. I don't know. But anyway, we've got to keep on going on. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Pretty incredible. When the disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, The knowledge and the secrets of the kingdom of God will be given to you, but others I will speak in parables, so that, seeing, though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So he's describing what the parable meant. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Tragic that that happens, but it does. On the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they will fall away. The seed that, that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Very interesting. But then there's another sentence here. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. That's what I want to focus on for the next moment. And I'm going to ask the Lord to just, uh, just open up your understanding uh, to, for your life, for your heart, that you would become the good soil that God is talking about in this parable. Now, just so we're all clear, who's the farmer in the story? Jesus is, right? What's the seed in the story? The Word of God. Good, you're tracking with me. There were four destinations of the seed as they sowed it, as they threw it out. Some landed on the path, and that the Word was wasted, it says. Some were on the rocks, and the seed was wasted. Same thing with the thorns. It grew up, but it was choked by the uh, pleasures of this life or worries of this life. The seed was wasted. It wilted away. It, each of those cases, it did not bear fruit. You tracking with me so far? But then there's this good soil. And the good soil described here is very interesting. It says, but the seed on the good soil stands for those with noble and good character. What I, some other versions say an honest or virtuous or worthy heart. It describes their heart, the condition of their heart. And what I love is that God, he's not looking over this earth looking for perfect people, is he? No, he's looking for people with a perfect heart towards him, like David's heart. We talked about this in Connect 301 uh, several weeks ago, and we talked about how important it is that our hearts are 
pleasing to God. And that's what it's talking about here. It does not say that we have to be perfect. Praise the Lord. Amen? But we do need to have a good heart. And I just want to declare over each and every one of you as an affirmation that you have a good heart. What God is talking about here, your life, your heart is good soil. And I believe the seed that we're reading today, the God's word that's being planted through preaching is going to bear much fruit in your lives as we continue to track forward. So the good soil starts off with the heart, a good and noble heart, it says. But then it also says, it's a, let's read it, it says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart and those who hear the word. We must be people of the word, to hear the word, to listen to it, to read it, to eat it up. We talked about the word being the bread of life. Other scripture talks about it being the living water. Whatever you want to call it, we need to get the word of God into our souls deep down. We need to get it in there. We need to hear the words. And the good soil stands for those with a good heart, also those who hear the word, but it doesn't stop there. Not only do they hear the word, but they retain it. They retain it. What that means is that they have meditated on it and they've memorized. Or the good soil is where we can repeat or share a word. If I were to ask you this week, I hope and pray, if I came up and you said, hey, what's the word of the Lord today? Maybe we'll do this in the office. <laughs> so be ready, Pete. Uh, but I call you up and I say, hey, what's God speaking to you today? Is there one verse? Now we're reading six and a half chapters a day for the next eight weeks. And remember, you can do anything for eight weeks, right? Thank you. <laughs> All of you can. But if there's something that pops out at you as you're reading, you're tracking through Scripture, we believe this is a living and powerful Word of God. And there's something that captures your mind and it changes the course of your day or it's the encouragement that you need or that you can speak into someone else's life. The Word of God, the supernatural comes by digesting it, by hearing it, but then by retaining it. Memorize that verse. Talk about it because there's power that comes when you do so. But then it's interesting it doesn't stop at the good soil, having a good heart, who hears the word, who retains it. Only Luke adds this. The, the parable of the sower is found in Mar Matthew, Mark, and in Luke, not in John. But in only Luke does he add this. And the good soil stands for those who have persevered, who have persevered. And by persevering, produces a crop. And this is what I want to bring home this morning for us to understand is that I looked up the word persevering and what it means is a steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty. Persevering. Or a delay in achieving success. And so what were we persevering through? Persevering, being persistent in trials, in temptations, in struggle. Being uh, tenacious, to, be, to have tenacity in our finances and in our relationships and spiritually and emotionally. 
because we know that there will be trouble in this word in this world john uh, 6 33 in this world you will have trouble right the bible says it and so we can expect that a farmer when he sows his seed and he puts it out there in the in the field to grow he knows that there will be storms along the way there will be hard times and good times and we've got to be prepared for both uh dave ramsey this last week in Financial Peace University. He's talking about finances, obviously, but he says this. He says, you need an emergency fund because it is going to rain. And so you got to have an umbrella, an emergency fund, a savings to do that. And in our lives, all along our lives, there will be trials. You will be tempted in your life. Now, you will be tempted. There's another section of scripture in Luke that was interesting that stuck out to me. And it's Jesus in his temptation. Turn with me to page 11 in the books of the Bible or to Luke chapter 4. And I want to look at some of these verses. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of the that of them, he was hungry. That's the understatement of the entire scripture, uh, front to back, the, the most understated uh, fact that he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, and it goes on and it talks about two other temptations. But what, you know, it's interesting, we say, oh, Jesus was tempted three times, Right? No, he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. Over and over and over, the devil was unrelenting. But what's interesting is that he said to that first one, turn the stone into bread. He says, no, man will not live by bread alone. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. If you can turn there with me. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, this is uh, God talking to the Israelites. He's saying, don't forget about me. And he's talking to the children of Israel, and he says this. Verse 3 says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. But what does he live on? On every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus is making the correlation between the manna that we started off with back in Exodus. And he's saying, look, there's a correlation here. Jesus is the bread of life. And for those 40 days, Jesus is making his claim out in the desert, eating nothing except spiritual food. He's filling himself with God's word. The devil comes and tempts him. And he is sustained. And what's interesting is as the chapter continues, the next chapter, it says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now, what I want you to see here this morning, and Brendan, you can come at this point, there are two results to God's Word being injected into your life. The first one There in Luke chapter 4, I just read it, 
is Jesus, he returns out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. There's a power that comes by eating the Word of God, by only having spiritual food. God's Word is used against temptation. Forty days he was filled with God's Word. Jesus was the bread of life. And that's the first thing, that there was power, supernatural power. And he went on and was sustained for three years. God used him marvelously in his public ministry. But the second thing I noticed, and back to Luke chapter 8, is that what happened to the seed that ended up in that good soil? What was it? What happened? It says that a hundred times more, it came up, yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Excuse me. That seed became incredibly fruitful. We know that God's word does not return void. And as I was thinking about all these things, I was thinking about our church and for our lives individually. What are we believing God for? What are we experiencing as a church together? We're experiencing a move of God. And we're asking God for a move of Him that is so undeniably Him, they would say, that can't be Pastor Ben or Pastor Pete or Deb or anyone else or Brandon or whatever. That's God moving there. That's what we're asking God for. And when we think about that, the power that comes, it comes from His Word. And not that just the leaders, not just me as the pastor, that I need to be in the Word, but you, the church, need the Word of God in your life, active as you go. And there's power that comes with that. You could speak a word into someone's life. You can say, hey, I was reading this scripture earlier and God was showing me, boy, I hope this is an encouragement, whatever the case. Or you're tempted. You use the, the word of God to overcome the enemy. Power. The second thing that we're praying for and I believe we're experiencing is the fruitfulness of our labor. God, he took that seed that was put into good soil And those roots went deep, and it sprang up and provided much fruit. And I believe in your life personally that this verse, when you get the Word of God inside of you, it'll bear much fruit in your life. It'll change things. It will protect you. It will help you of God. And it will also, for us corporately, it will help us as we engage in the Word of God together. It will help us to continue to grow. And to grow not only wide, but deep. The Word of God in your life. Not just in my life. And I know many of you are tracking with us. And I'm excited about that. And I'm asking God to do something so amazing in 
your lives over these next eight weeks that it will be one of those moments for our church saying, wow, look what God has done. Look how the Lord is moving. And I believe that we're on the verge of that. But where does it start? It starts with our heart being good soil. And the first thing I want to ask you as I close here is how is your heart today? How's your heart? It says a heart, a good and noble heart is what's represented by that good soil. Does that describe your heart? Virtuous, soft. We just planted a garden yesterday. We went out and got some compost, some good soil, rich with nutrients. And it wasn't all dry and crusty. We didn't have to break it up. It was good soil. We paid for it. It was very good. But in your life, what is it? Where is your heart with the Lord? There may be some here today that need to come back to the Lord and have a salvation experience. Or maybe you've never, excuse me, maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. Good soil starts with your heart. The second thing is that you have to hear the Word of God. It needs to get inside of you, period. Whether you're listening to it in the car on your way to work or back, you get up in the morning, you look at it late at night, you watch it on TV, I don't care. Get the Word of God inside of you and then retain it. You retain it by memorizing it, by meditating on it, sharing that word, repeating it. I was thinking about things that go viral these days online. Why do they go viral online? Why, why, you know, a YouTube video comes comes over and uh, you're like, hey, uh, what do you do? You share it. You forward it. And then all of a sudden, 10 million people have seen something funny or cute or whatever and uh, it's gone viral. You have the power of God inside of you to share that. Let it go viral in your circumstances and let it be great. But then when it comes to that last piece, this is what I believe the Lord wants us to do is to persevere. If we are going to bear much fruit, if there's going to be power in our ministry here at the Gateway Church or power in your life individually, there we must persevere. And what I'm going to ask for you to do this morning is to fill out a prayer card. We're going to pass those out. Steve, if you could help me out in the back and uh, maybe, uh, uh, let's see, who else can help me? Andy, why don't you jump up and help, help me here? We got prayer cards. We want to get a prayer card in everyone's hands and then there should be some pens as well. Because on these prayer cards, we can identify maybe what we are facing, what we're believing God for. And maybe we're praying for someone's salvation. Go ahead and you can just pass those out. There's a mark on there for salvation. And you can pray for that. There's also a mark on there for healing. Saying, you know what? I need, I'm persevering. I need a touch from God in my situation, in my life. And we want to persevere together. The others there, there could be a whole slew of things that maybe are on your heart. 
when it comes to a prayer request. And then the last check there is confidential. And we take it very seriously. If you check confidential, only Pastor Pete and myself and uh, Miss Deb read those. Those circulate just between the three of us. No one else sees those. And uh, if you want us to pray for those specifically, you can mark confidential and to do that. And this is all about persevering. I felt like as I was preparing that the Lord was showing me that this is where we are as a church. Is that persevering. And persevering is not always easy. There's trials, there's temptation, there's, there's struggle that comes and goes. But those that persevere when the storm come and those roots are deep, there may be some dead wood that shakes out of the tree, so to speak, but the tree is stronger after the fact. You tracking with me? And so what are we persevering through? How can we pray for you in this season of your life? What I'm going to ask is that Pastor Pete would join me and uh, my board members, uh, if there's any board members here, I know Greg and Sue, if you would come. What we're going to do is we're going to worship the Lord together. Pastor Pete, come, and Greg and Sue, come on up. We're just going to spread out here. What we're going to ask you to do is to bring your prayer requests forward. And we're going to look at those for a second. We're going to pray. We're going to pray with you, asking God to move in those circumstances. If you have a certain need that's confidential, you can come to Pastor Pete or to me. Otherwise, Greg and Sue are here. We're here to minister to you. So I'm going to ask that everyone would stand here this morning, right where you are. And I'm going to ask that 100% of you participate. I'm going to ask that no one leave here for the next couple minutes. We're ahead of schedule. And so just take, we're going to take some time to minister to you. What is it that you are standing in need of? What are you persevering through? And then we're going to come back. After you prayed for, you can return to your seats and worship as Brennan leads us. And then we're going to have a, a closing moment together. All right? So let's do that. Everyone stand and let's pray. Lord, I pray in these next few moments, Lord, that you would put your hand upon our lives as we identify areas of our lives that we need help in, that we need to persevere through, salvations in our family, with our friends, maybe even our own lives, to come back to you. Lord, in areas of healing, we need a touch from you. There's maybe other things, emotional needs or uh, financial needs. But Lord, we're just trusting you. And we want to bear those burdens together for your glory, for your honor, Lord. We're asking, Lord, that you would touch us with your presence as we pray in Jesus' name. And now I'm just going to ask that you would come and find one of us here. We're just going to take a moment just to identify the need, a quick prayer, and then you can return to your seats to continue to worship. And let's just do that. We'll take a few moments here to pray. Amen.